And welcome to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and our program today is going to focus on the story or stories of um, several different very prominent women in uh, politics primarily, and we're going to be talking with our very special guest who is going to share with us uh, about the aspects of a book that she has written uh, regarding uh, 10 different women in politics. Uh, In particular, we have uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and Jacqueline Kennedy, as well as Hillary Clinton, these are the most prominent names you'll remember, as well as Melania Trump, and a book that I think you are going to find very interesting. I hope that you do, and it is called Why They Stay. And Anne, I want to thank you, and Anne, your last name is pronounced uh, McCod, is that correct? Um, nope. No, please pronounce <laughs> that for me. <laughs> the D is silent, it's Misho. Misho. I was so far off, it was ridiculous. So, and Misho. Yes. I want to make sure to get it right. I want to show, I want to uh, uh, show you the, the due respect that you have earned by virtue of being named Anne Misho. <laughs> and uh, thank you for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. Thank you, Richard. It's nice to be here. This particular series of stories, if you will, um, focuses on uh, an I want to say a, a social um, issue that we are facing, and it's, I think, may become more to light these days since what? The Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And how women Definitely. have just basically, I'm going to, and correct me if I'm wrong when I put it this way, because I'm a guy. Uh, basically, they've had it up to here, and they're not going to take it anymore. I think that's true. Okay. Uh, if you want to talk a broad generalization, yes, I think you know there'll be um, individual women will make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Sure. And when we we talk about people who are prominent in our in our world, and in our situation, of course, you focused on several first ladies, as well as other very prominent women who have been married to men who. Uh, <clears throat> misbehave, shall we say, putting it kindly. That's putting it very kindly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they choose to stay. And what is so interesting, and this was something that came out in a documentary that I saw about the Kennedys in general, the, the Kennedy family. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is that with what we read and what we find out when we go back into history as to the way in which the Kennedys, and and I'm just speaking specifically of them, the way that they lived under the kinds of rules that they lived by, that's just the way that they lived. There was no, it wasn't about right or wrong. It was, these are the rules under which the Kennedys operate. And that's just, and and so when you see uh, other Kennedys as they're growing up, uh, you wonder why they're behaving this way. Because that's the way they were raised. That was the environment, the world in which they lived. Is that a fair assessment of of, uh, especially uh, some of these um, uh, dynasty, so to speak, families like the Rockefellers or the Bushes or... You know, whatever other names that you uh, want to uh, to throw out there, that they they grow up in this rarefied air, so to speak, uh, um, well-to-do, privileged, that kind of thing. And I'm not being critical here. I'm just trying to set the categories. Yeah. yeah when I um, first started, I, I this is the second edition of the book, and I started in 2014 working with um, a literary agent and editors and when I was using the word patriarchal, ah. it was n- not too many people were talking about that. And uh, published the first edition in 2017, and then went back to um, include the Trumps because um, it just seemed logical. And it seemed like no book that talked about um, a couple that stays together in spite of infidelity, um, a prominent political couple, it wouldn't be complete without the Trumps in it. So um, by the time I published that one earlier this year, 
people were talking about the patriarchy all the time. Yeah. And uh, these, I think that the um, kind of rules you're describing would be called patriarchal. Um, and I think they go back to prominent families for decades, uh, hundreds of years. And and this isn't just a, 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 an American phenomenon. This is global. This happens all across the all across the world. Mm-hmm. My first book, uh, first edition, I had two couples from Britain and one from um, Israel. But uh, I had to uh, take a couple of, of chapters out to make room for the uh, the new Trump chapter, which is kind of long. <laughs> well, I, I, first of all, the one thing that I think a lot of citizens. Um, I'll use the term laity <laughs> because a lot of these people think they're royalty. They think they're holier than thou. Um, uh, they look at what comes out, you know, what maybe the media puts out. And of course, there's one side that says, oh, this is just, uh, uh, you know, a, a whitewash. This is this is a, a smear campaign. And yet they've got sufficient evidence, audio and or video and so on and so forth. And there seems to be the biggest problem that I see, and uh, we'll, we'll get into to, uh, the effects on these various uh, prominent women, but there seems to be this uh, double standard. And the one thing that uh, I have noticed in politics in particular is when, uh, specifically a gentleman, uh, if you can, I use that term loosely here, owns up and says, you know what, you got me. I did it. I screwed up. I made a mistake. I, I am, I, I am so remorseful that I have damaged my reputation of myself, my family, my wife, my children, etc., etc., etc. You know, I made a mistake, uh-huh. and the story. Guess what? It goes away because that person's taken the wind out of the sails of the media. There's nothing the media can mm-hmm. add to it because they, they've owned it. It's when the person doesn't own it and denies it and denies it and goes on and on and on to deny it that it, that it takes on a life of its own. Do you find that the women in these different stories, these different uh, scenarios, um, and we'll get into why they stay as well, but do they see, do they understand that, yeah, I know my husband's this way. Uh, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just own it? I mean, it seems like there's got to be some collaboration of some sorts, both between the husband and the wife, but of maybe even between, uh, the, the husband and the entourage, if you will, or the, 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 the handlers or whatever other term you want to use. That's part of this patriarchy that they, 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 they just, you know, it's like the Bible says, um, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that applies to us as individuals, that if I will just own my truth, own my life, um, it's going to be a whole lot easier down the road. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it depends on which couple you're talking about. I think the um, tactics of whether, um, you know, how they've dealt with the media and whether they own up or 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 just hope the problem goes away or know that it's coming, but, and, and figure they'll deal with it when it comes. I think, you know, you have a very different responses depending on who you're talking about. And certainly I do know that we, we, each, each situation is individual. It's unique. It's special in that regard. Um, Let's talk uh, about these women and can you, uh, when you researched them, did you find that these women, uh, either on the whole, or maybe you can list one or two of them, who genuinely loved and wanted to make the marriage, the marriage, the relationship, the partnership, the team, they wanted to make it work. So they were willing to overlook these indiscretions if he would only keep it in his pants, so to speak. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, 
the, a lot of the calculation is based on them not being a private couple and not just having a relationship with each other, but um, being uh, in politics. Mm -hmm. And I think you find that that some of the calculation that they're making in these marriages that I wrote about um, are are based on you know whether he can get elected again and um, I think you definitely saw that with Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR they thought about breaking up and um, their advice from the people around them was you know FDR will never be president if he's divorced um, I think you know with Jackie she tried to make the marriage work she even consulted a um, physician about what she could do in bed to make her husband happy um, mm. so that, you know, he wouldn't stray as much. Um, Hillary, I think, you know, she and um, maybe Huma Abedin, um, maybe Wendy Vetter, Definitely Melania. They all sort of accepted that they were with guys who weren't going to be faithful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when it derailed, you know, his um, political career, they all had, you know, ways of, of thinking about how to deal with it and, and, and advice. They were getting advice from political consultants about how to perhaps keep the women's vote. So. Mm. so there were ulterior motives, if you will, for staying together. And sometimes uh, in spite of the patriarchy, uh, did these women feel as though they had not necessarily the upper hand. Okay, I got you by the short hairs here and uh, this is what I want. And you're going to give it to me uh, on a political level, maybe in terms of, say, the vote and that kind of thing. Um, I do remember a story, uh, I believe it was a true story and I cannot remember which country it was in, but apparently, um, in a, in a particular uh, government, <clears throat> the wives were actually sick and tired of whatever it was, was going on and told the men, uh, <clears throat> you either fix this, uh, or you won't uh, be having any more fun in the bedroom. And supposedly they used that as a weapon, so to speak, to say, look, you know, it's uh, my way or the highway, and apparently they caved and gave the women what they wanted. Is that is that? Uh, yeah, I remember that story too. Yeah, is that any? Is there any truth to that concept on the part of any of these women uh, uh, that if you don't, uh, shall we say, bend the knee? I thinking in terms of royalty, uh, if you don't bend the knee. I am going to reveal this, that, or the other thing, or I'm going to withhold, or some other, shall we say, penalty. Was there any, any anything like that going on? I don't know. I think you found um, when there was any sort of hint of a public statement that a couple of the women blamed themselves for... Um, for the man straying. I don't think there was necessarily this power play. Um, Silda Spitzer, for example, she and um, she was married to Elliot Spitzer, who was governor of New York and um, ended up um, frequenting um, sex workers and resigned. Um, she said to a friend, you know, the wife is supposed to take care of the sex and clearly I, I fell down on that um, obligation or part of <laughs> I don't mean to make it sound so dry but you know um, she that part of the marriage and yeah. um, even Huma Abedin said um, oh I meant to mention that the Spitzers were the couple that the good wife television show was based on oh and um, yeah and, and then Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner um, Huma is, um, she's still uh, chief of staff to Hillary Clinton and had been with Hillary since she, you know, uh, was a, an intern for the campaign um, early on. And um, she uh, said, 
that she blamed herself for some of uh, her husband's transgressions um, and that uh, she was she didn't she wasn't going to marriage counseling with him anymore she was focused on their baby and um, maybe you know if she had been more attentive that he might not have done what he did which was um, sexting with women and um, got caught um, not only sexting but with an underage woman and ended up um, spending uh, time in jail for that this is uh, something that uh, transcends the hierarchy, if you will, the patriarchy uh, of our country in whatever uh, institution you want to, to list. This, this goes all the way down to the laity, as I used the term earlier, <laughs> um, that this is happening across the country and around the world. Uh, what kinds of changes have you noticed if any, in our society, uh, in our uh, politics, uh, uh, political couples, um, religious couples. I mean, we've seen that going on in, uh, I remember in the 80s and early 90s in the televangelistic uh, era, if you will, uh, that whole mess. I always, I always spoke to the radio or the television when I heard these guys talking, saying, me just think thou protesteth too much, especially Swaggart, who was, uh, um, the best way I can put it, anti-sex. Yeah. And yet that's exactly what he got caught up in. And I say, you know, you better be careful what you're railing against because that's probably what you're going to get caught in. And that's what he got caught in. But have you noticed any changes maybe in light of or maybe... Uh, because of the creation of the Me Too movement and others, and women really starting to take their, not, I, I want to say take back their power, but starting to speak the, their truth of who they are as people, as individuals, not just as women? I think so. Um, I, I know with... Um one of the reasons I went back and wanted to write about the Trumps was I was so kind of bowled over about by um, how uh, brash Donald Trump was and, and got elected even so. I mean, he had some things come out before the election in 2016 that I thought would have disqualified him. You know, the whole um, Access Hollywood tape where he said, I can grab women and, mm -hmm. and, um, by the private parts. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then, then he had several women, uh, more than 10, um, come out and say he either assaulted me or he sexually harassed me. And I thought, oh, boy, he's not going to win the election. And then he did. And, yeah. and I thought, yeah, I think a lot of people were like, didn't want to um, say that that was something that should cancel him. Well, and, and what, what was so bizarre for me, and I was one of those that you just described, I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, why, why is he president when Al Franken, who owned it, he said, yes, I did that, but I, it, my intention wasn't, you know, malicious or uh, perverted, perverse or what have you, <laughs> and he, he, right. he, has to, he ends up stepping down from his position in Congress. And I'm going, wait a minute, there's a double standard here. What is? And that's what I was kind of addressing earlier was this whole double standard that's going on uh, that, you know, some guys can get away with it, so to speak. And they don't really. They don't. Or, uh, um, or they own it and then they move on with their lives. I don't know what Al Franken's doing. I don't know if he's doing stand-up again or, or he'll go back to Saturday Night Live or, <laughs> or what. But it just, it's just very strange. It's a strange dynamic that's out there, yeah, Anne. It is. I think with Al Franken, um, the Democrats were trying to set themselves apart from the Republicans in how they treat women. And he was sort of the poster child for, yeah. you know, now we're going to um, we're going to make a statement. Yeah. And this guy is is the one who got you know, had really bad timing in terms of, of when Democrats wanted to make a statement about it. Um, I, I feel bad for him. And I think he has um, 
written about how um, he feels like he was sacrificed. I think he has some very hard feelings over it. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, Donald Trump, I don't know, maybe it played into his losing the last election. Um, all this animosity between him and females. Well, they, they do say uh, karma's a bitch. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I said from the very beginning, from uh, June 15th, 2015, when I saw him <clears throat> coming down the escalator and he started his diatribe, I said, I don't want this guy president. I don't want a bully in the White House. I didn't mm. know anything about his uh, sexual picadellos uh, and so forth and so on. But um, the, the longer he went on, the more I said... He's going to pay for this down the road. He is going to pay for this. You can't put out that kind of energy, okay? And that's what we're talking about. That's a lot of what we talk about on this program is what you put out there. Uh, your mm -hmm. words have power. Uh, words that you use have power. And the words that he used had a particular power, and it came back to bite him. Um, I know there are a lot of people that still believe that uh, there was something fraudulent about the 2020 election. Well, if that's the case, then we can't have any more elections mm -hmm. because you can't say that one election is rigged from this point into the future. The rest of them are rigged, too. And that was mm -hmm. one other thing that I thought was really strange was when he said in October 2016 that the election was rigged before the first his first win, he said it was rigged. Then he won. And I'm sitting here going, why isn't anybody asking him, you said that the election was rigged and you won. Mm -hmm. So if the election was rigged and you won, then you didn't win fairly because you said the election was rigged because you can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. If and I he win. he started that drumbeat again and before the 2020 election. I was paying very close attention at that point, and um, for months he was saying this isn't going to be a fair election. There's yeah. going to be fraud. That you know the mail-in ballots with COVID are you can't trust them. Yeah, and I think really that you know if if we can't trust our elections in this country, I mean, it's over. Yeah, it is. It, it truly is over, and of course, um, it erodes everything. Yeah, it, it does. Um, I'm, I want to ask you a question um, in relation to one person I don't believe that is in your, uh, your uh, two-part uh, series, if you will, uh, the, 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 two, the two books, your sequel, if you will, uh, Why They Stay. Um, Mario Cuomo. Now, when I started watching, and he, he was running, I remember he was uh, giving his... I don't know what you would call it, his explanation, and showing all of these different photos, those pictures, images of how oh, he... Andrew. I'm sorry? Andrew. Uh, yeah, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, right. The form, yeah. Oh, Mario was governor, too, and he was Andrew's father. Ah. Uh, so I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. That's I'm, all right. I, I, I just don't want to, you know. No, don't want to. Don't want to. Mario. <laughs> no, Mario, you're good. You're good. Andrew. Uh, so Andrew was giving his explanation, right? And he was showing all these photos. And I got to looking at these photos and he was saying, this is just the way that I am. I'm, I'm very demonstrative. And maybe some women took it the wrong way. You know, and I'm, uh, you know, and it's like, okay, then I'm sorry for that. And, and let's move on. But obviously there were other women who came forward and said, no, it was a lot more than that. Um, but there are people, there are men, and there are women, too, who are very demonstrative in the way in which they may greet someone. You know, <clears throat> the way they'll hug them. Maybe they'll hug them harder and tighter or, you know, rub their back as opposed to patting. You know, you, you see the patting of the back as opposed to the rubbing of the back and that kind of thing. Or And, and then you don't know what the other person has been through in their lives, the things that have traumatized them, that you're triggering when you're holding them and rubbing their back kind of thing. Uh, and this is not to minimize 
any of this, but it's to try to give explanation. What about what about those two sides of that same coin where you've got the the demonstrative person, that's just the way that they are, where, and then you've got the person receiving these, these uh, um, uh, uh, actions of um, uh, greeting or what have you, and they've been through rather tumultuous times, maybe in their childhood, and what they perceive is happening is another assault. Um, is, is that something that's... Yeah, I don't... I think most... Um adults can tell the difference between an assault and, uh, or, or, you know, sexual touch and, Mm -hmm. um, just sort of, um, affection, general affection for the person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've met Andrew a number of times and, um, he's, he can be a little bit, he, he'll make a, a joke or, be a little bit flirtatious, but, um, nothing Yeah, out of, you know, uh, nothing really touchy or anything like that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think we're in a different world when it comes to, um, touching (laughs) and part of it is, is, is COVID. Uh, I've recently seen some people in person for the first time and, um, a couple of years or, you know, and, and I, I'm asking every time I'm like, can I give you a hug? Yeah. I, I think that's a very appropriate way to do it these days is may I yeah. give you a hug? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I know that mm-hmm. I often see, uh, when two men come together, they may go ahead and put their hand out and shake hands and then they pull each other close and sort of bump, bump shoulders of the shaking <laughs> hand, you know, uh, as to say, Hey, Hey, bro, you know, uh, you know, I I appreciate you, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're, we're kindred spirits or what have you. Very (laughs) interesting. Very interesting. I know that there, uh, every story is individual. So can you give us sort of a, because we've, we've addressed it a little bit, but I think we need to go maybe into a, a little bit of a list of the reasons why, as the title of your book says, they st- why they stay why uh, let's we've already talked about the the, the political ramifications the, the you, he'll never get elected if if you divorce if you leave him and so forth um so what about uh, what about some of the other reasons why they stay is is fear a big part of it well i don't know about fear i went through their um biographies and um I found um, five traits that I felt they the women had in common, and and not all of them are so unusual, but they all added up to um, a determination to stay in the marriage. And I think um, the first one was I, I called it submitting to tradition, but it's sort of this patriarchal mindset that you and I talked about earlier. Um, they, many of them had a, a history where their uh, security was in question. Um, for example, um, Eleanor Roosevelt's parents both were um, dead by the time she was 11. Mm. So they had reasons to um, want security in their lives. Mary and Stein, these are um, uh, the, a British couple, and uh, her parents fled um Austria because they were Jewish during when the second world war was building up. So again, you know, reasons to want security in your life. Um, The third trait is a a sense of patriotism or um, desire to do something in the world um, that based on your beliefs and, and change policies or, you know, um, have, have a, an effect on the world in some way. Hmm. Um, fourth was they felt responsible for the family's emotional health. And fifth, they had an ambition to build a legacy for themselves as a couple and also for their children. Hmm. Of what, um, of what benefit do you see this book 
Uh, and and actually, it's as you say, this is the second in the series, so to speak. I I'm wondering, is there going to be a third? Are, are you uh, are putting together any more, or have you kind of said, you know, I've said all that needs to be said? Yeah, I um, really wasn't uh, planning on doing a second, and um, I think I might be done with the topic at this point. Mm. And I think maybe it's changing too. Times are changing. Um, I, I think you find that a couple of people like Hillary Clinton would say, you know, if if this is acceptable in my marriage, why is everyone questioning it? Um, and I think um, that I think we're moving in that direction. Maybe mm. I think, you know, Donald Trump sort of had a lot of um issues that weren't morally um, acceptable to to people who who vote on those lines mm -hmm. and um, he was selected so I don't know that running what I'm trying to say is running across a sex scandal for a politician I don't know that it's going to um, play out the way it has in the past I wonder if there's some big change happening socially where we say, you know, politicians aren't perfect and <laughs> we're just going to accept this aspect of this person. And um, I don't know. I think that maybe we are moving in that direction. Well, I know uh, that a former president like a, a Ronald Reagan, if that had come out, I don't think he would have won. I think the Republican Party mm -hmm. would have tossed him out on his ear because back then in the 80s, uh, that would not have been tolerated. But for whatever reason, in the 2000s, for <laughs> and by the way, uh, one guy who um, I think made one of the biggest mistakes uh, in politics, probably the biggest mistake in politics when it came to this, was Gary Hart. Follow me, you know, and see if I'm in faith, unfaithful. Well, they did, and he was. And it's like, are you an idiot? You know, are you serious? Come on. Uh, you are in the public eye. You're under the microscope. You darn well better um, behave yourself. And, of course, he, he ended up l losing. He ended up uh, out, you know, and it was, it was a right. mess. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, it's another one of those situations where if you just own your tr own your life, own your uh, uh, learning experiences, I as I like to call them, uh, and um, ask for forgiveness and then forgive yourself and let's move on. I'm curious about these women in particular that you focused on. How many of them stayed with their husbands after the husband's political life was over? After what? I'm sorry. After their political, <clears throat> after they were out of office and they weren't seeking, uh, seeking re-election for or election for anything, and they were out of the public eye. Well, I think most of them stayed. Although um, Elliot ran after his um, governor, uh, after he resigned. As governor, he ran for city controller, and um, he was washed out in the primary, Democratic primary, and um, he and his wife broke up just like days after that. Mm. So I feel like they were staying together to help his chances in that in that race. Um, Huma Abedin and Anthony Weiner, um, you know, they're they're continue to be stories about them being seen together, but they, they have a son uh, yeah. together. So I think, you know, there's that, but I don't think they're together either. I saw an interview with her and, um, you know, she, she, uh, says, look, I stayed and I did this and that and the other, um, uh, first of all, just from my perspective as a guy, from a logical standpoint, Anthony should have changed his last name. i you know, sorry, his family, uh, that that's just, with with the problems that he was having with his sexual indiscretions, change your name, pal. Um, <laughs> that's that's because that just draws attention right to you. And I can't imagine the hell he must have gone through in school. I just can't imagine that would have been awful, just awful. But um, 
the the other thing I wanted to ask you was uh, about the the men after political life. Now I know that Bill Clinton he's still out there, and apparently he's been accused again and again and again. Even in his, what is he in his seventies or eight? I don't know how old he is now. Um, but he's st- <laughs> I he, I I don't know whether I want to say he's still got it or. Oh, my God, he's still got it. Um, you know, women stay away from him. But what about the men in particular uh, after after their political lives, after being after getting out of the limelight? Um, I think that, um, you know, they continue on. Uh, you know, I don't know that that they're um, what they're doing is is public or of public interest anymore. Right. So I really don't know a lot about you know their their lives after politics. Now you mentioned that obviously this has been going on for centuries, and I was thinking about some of the uh, documentaries as well as movies about uh, um, the. Um, I'm trying to remember medieval uh, times as well as the Renaissance period and and royalty, both in England as well as in Europe. And um, that many, many countries were ruled by queens, England in particular, you know, Queen Elizabeth uh, presently. Mm -hmm. But even prior to her, there were there were queens who ruled over England. Uh, And uh, I'm guessing that that whole class slash caste system, if you will, uh, where you do not marry out of your station, I guess, is is sort of the phrase. And yet you'd never married for love. You always married uh, for strategic, shall we say, advantage uh, mm-hmm. to keep the bloodline going and so forth. There mm-hmm. isn't any of that here in this country from a political standpoint, is there? Um, I think definitely there was with um, Eleanor and FDR, the way they were raised. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of um, distant cousins. Um, you know, not they're not related, uh, closely related, but they were in the same um, social circles. And there was a sense that there was... A, set of 400 families in the u.s at that time Mm -hmm. that they were could marry into Mm. so they were (laughs) it was actually you know an identified group of of uh families that would be acceptable and i think also when um jfk was looking for a wife he was going into elected politics and um or or pursuing higher office and he decided that he needed uh, to be married in order to do that. And I think, you know, Jackie sort of fit the the acceptable type of, of person that he could marry. It, so that makes it sound a little bit, maybe a little more than a little bit, like she was nothing more than a pawn used by the Kennedys and JFK in particular. No, I don't know. No. You think that well, he, he really genuinely loved her? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not casting aspersions. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> yeah. People ask me about the these um, couples. They're like, but didn't they just stay together for love? And I'm like, how would I know? Yeah. You know, I just, <laughs> these, yeah. I assume that there is some love there and, mm-hmm. um, that uh, not really a question for me. I you know, understand. it's more. I look at their actions and how they were raised and their attitudes, and said, "Here's what I see." So mm-hmm. it's more. Th- it's more that than um, knowing what's in their hearts. And when you take a look at their actions, and I think specifically, of course, uh, modern day Melania, and I. I see her. I still remember the 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 video they showed when they were uh, the, the Trumps were at the World Series, the game, and the look on her face when he was doing the tomahawk chop, and <laughs> just the as like this woman is not happy, and I wonder mm-hmm. when she is going to wake up and say, "I'm not happy. I'm out of here." Yeah. 
this is this is ridiculous. I I need to be living my truth. I need to be living my life. Um, and and I know that there are a lot of women out there not in the the spotlight who feel the same way that they're not happy. And they want to live their lives. They want to live their truths. Truths. They want to fulfill their dreams. Do you think that I the... Think, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know. Melania seems very, um, I guess, calculating, but I don't mean that in a negative way. Mm -hmm. She yeah. um, seems to plan things out. She seems willing to put in the work and... Um, that it takes to get ahead. And uh, it, at least when she was back, when she was modeling, um, she took very good care of herself, didn't go out partying, you know, was pre pretty serious young woman. And I think, you know, she may have made a deal um, with her eyes open going into this marriage. She, she might be living her truth. Mm. And and again, it's one of those uh, questions that we really can't answer because we just don't know because we haven't asked her. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of the living um, women who are still alive today, like Hillary and obviously Melania, you you did not have any interviews with them. You just um, researched uh, the the information that you put in the book. Yeah, I. I tried to interview um, Melania and she declined, but um, mostly I researched them and talked to people around them. So interviewed people who, who know Donald and Melania, like um, Michael Caputo, um, who was in Trump's administration mm -hmm. and um, Ro Roger Stone. Also, um, political consultants who know these people and have worked for them, um, as well as some experts, uh, a political psychologist who had some interesting things to say, and um, uh, a, a professor in Slovenia who grew up uh, in that country at the same time that Melania did and could talk about some of the social expectations for women. Mm. I know that uh, they see it seems to get more attention nowadays than than maybe before in terms of the mistreatment uh, of women uh, by the patriarchies in other cultures around the world. Do you see that that's uh, because they're getting exposed that those are changing or do you see them maybe getting locked in more that the patriarchies are really working hard to hold on to their power? and not really interested in sharing it with uh, the females, with the women? I don't know. I've been watching a lot in Afghanistan what's going on there with the Taliban. I don't think it, it doesn't look very good to me. I think um, a lot of the educated women um, went into hiding when, when uh, the U.S. left. And um, I know there was a soccer team ended up uh, a lot of the women ended up leaving the country you know kind of desperately leaving the country yeah. so um i just i don't think things are i think there's uh, still a struggle what about in this country i mean i remember when the era uh was really being equal rights amendment was really being pushed back in the 70s you know and and i was and I, I sit here and I, I still cannot figure out how it, is in, how it is possible for two individuals, one male, one female, to be hired for exactly the same position, to do the, exactly the same work, and one gets paid more than the other. I, I, that makes no sense to me. We're talking about a job <laughs> that needs to be done, and that job pays X. And it does it should not make any difference whatsoever who is hired. That job still pays X. But the reality mm -hmm. is that that's not what happened. There's X and then there's Y. Uh, do you see uh, that anything has changed in the 40 or 50 years uh, since that uh, that amendment came forth and and other efforts? 
optimistic. You're optimistic. For women in this country, there's salary data so that there's more openness about that and, and you can compare. Um, I think that um, I just read about a, a company that's um, run by women and they help place um, moms after they've taken some time off to raise their families. I think that there are a lot of really good things happening for women in our country. And I honestly did not expect to see some of this in my lifetime. Well, I will tell you that uh, when I was operations manager of the Christian station back in the 80s and early 90s, and I was hiring, I wanted to hire women. I didn't want to hire the guys because of their egos. They were just... You know, they were more interested. Oh, I'm in radio and I got, you know, uh, whereas the gals, they got what we were doing and they understood uh, how to process the information mm -hmm. I was giving them on in terms of how to run the programs. Uh, plus, I wanted the diversity of voices. You know, all you hear, all you used to hear on the radio were male voices in commercials and so forth. And I, I wanted the female mm -hmm. voices, you know, so I wanted to mm -hmm. hire women. And some would say, well, but that's uh, that's uh, discriminatory or reverse discrimination. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's 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 giving people. And, of course, they got paid the same thing I did. I was making minimum wage. So were they. You know, so at least we were all paid the yeah. same. Yeah. Um, and we all did the same work. <laughs> we all did the same work. And we got along yeah. great. You know, um, mm -hmm. so uh, I and I was born and raised in a family of eight. Uh, I had two older sisters, two younger sisters and a younger brother. And um, so I know what it's like to live in, uh, I'll call it a modified matriarchy, um, a matriarchal <laughs> system. I, and honestly, I don't have a problem with that. But let me ask you this. Uh, it has been said by many on my program about equal rights, shall we say, for women. Women do not want to take over. They want to share they want to share in the creation of and the, the construction, if you will, of our society and our civilization. They don't want to take over. You know, we're not changing hands here, going from patriarchy to matriarchy. Your thoughts on that? Is that your observation as well? And your feeling even as a woman. Well, I've been, you know, working in journalism, so I do know some women who want to take over. Aha, Okay. <laughs> You have some, you know, strong personalities in mm -hmm. journalism. Um, but I think uh, that, you know, they, in general, I think there's, there's an, a sense of um, people just want greater fairness and for, for there to be, I think it's really, it's a matter of fairness. It's, you know, don't count me out just because I have what, to an XY chromosome yeah. or something. And by the way, from a biological standpoint, and I've 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 researched this to make sure I'm correct on this, and I've been uh, supported by many of my guests who also know this. I learned this in biology, and I think it was grade school, maybe high school. Every single human being who has been, is, or ever will be born started out. As a female. And then I guess it's in the DNA or the chromosomes, the genes, I don't know what, that the uh, X and the Y get put in there and you create a guy, a, a male. But mm -hmm. we all start out as a female, not in a female, which is true, but as <laughs> a female. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, I have a feminine side not just from a psychological standpoint, but because of the fact that I even exist as a human being because I started out as a female. Mm. And that's something mm. that I find so fascinating. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's pretty great when we can have, you know, express our masculine and feminine sides. I mean, I'm, um, you know, I, as a worker, I really enjoy... Um, sometimes being in charge, mm -hmm. masculine side. And um, I, I also enjoy 
um, you know, the light go on and have and and um, learn and express themselves and feel great about what they're doing. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I think it's really nice to have both. My husband is um, is kind of a macho guy, and then he also is has a real great decorating sense. <laughs> really. Great. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. So, That's his creative uh, you know. side. His creative side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, d- does he show that only to you? I think at first he did, and now he's more comfortable with it. Because I know that um, uh, when um, one gets into, say, music or the arts, so we'll broaden it to say the arts of which I am a part of because I do some drawing and sketching and I, uh, I'm actually a one song songwriter thus far (laughs) and a singer. Um, Uh and, um, those are more feminine types of, uh, uh, careers, shall we say, or hobbies or vocations. Mm -hmm. I find it fascinating how many chefs are male as opposed to female, and yet, who's the one in the kitchen stereotypically cooking <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner? It's the woman, and yet the guys yeah. are in the restaurants cooking for for the public, and there's no shame in that. Uh, and so I find it real interesting that uh, there are certain careers that some guys won't touch because you know, oh no, that's that's woman's work, you know. What do you think about, and I, and I know we're getting uh, sort of shifting here, um, but I'm curious about your thoughts in reference to, uh, yes, the people that you reference in your two books on uh, why they stay, but you've heard the term toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure out what exactly that is. Now, I suppose, <laughs> you know what song just came to mind? <clears throat> Macho Man, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, chivalry. I don't know if that's part of toxic masculinity. All I know is that it was how I was raised to open the doors for not just my wife, but for other women as well. And but then there are times when I'm going, no, I'm not going to I'm, I'm going to let them open the door for me. You know, mm-hmm. because they're going through the same door and they want to be equal. They want to share, you know, in, in all that life has to offer. So let them open the door for me. And it's like, I don't feel comfortable all the time doing that. I feel like, oh, my God, I just I just slapped mm-hmm. them in the face or something, you know. Um, what, what, what about uh, that aspect of especially the masculine and maybe in reference to the patriarchy that we've been talking about? Well, I think toxic masculinity would have to refer to people who um, aren't comfortable owning up to their mistakes, who don't want to hear criticism, who lash out at others in anger. I mean, those are the things that I think are really problematic. As far as holding doors, I agree it can be uncomfortable. not to have like an agreed upon set of rules. I mean, I work with a lot of young people now and they have different um, rules around pronouns and uh, a lot of different things. And it's like, oh boy, I just showed myself to be, you know, a dinosaur or whatever with my habits that and things, customs that I learned growing up. So um, yeah, it's not, not the most comfortable thing to have um, this sort of fluid social um, atmosphere that we live with in the U.S. Granted, and at the same time, uh, aren't the the social norms, they are shifting, Uh, you know, but I think it's still possible for us to have them shift and still show respect for one another and appreciation for one another Mm -hmm. and consideration and just being kind. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. I haven't, no one, no woman yet has, uh, uh, has um, been offended by my opening the door for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's, it is partly because they're a female and this is the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. But also it's, I'm just being kind because one of us has to open the door. Okay. Push it or pull it open. Because we both <laughs> want to go, we're going to both go in the same direction. 
And I just happen to get there first, and I see the person behind me, person, male or female, and I open the door. And I may let them go first, or I'll go through, and then I'll hold Mm -hmm. the door, that kind of thing. Uh, And that's just an example of just being kind. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's take it out of the realms of chivalry and just say it's in the realms of kindness, consideration. One human being to another. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I wonder sometimes, Anne, if maybe one of the things that um, has been lacking in the last 10 years and has been growing with frustration for most of us over the last 10 years uh, has to do with the lack of kindness, mostly the lack of kindness in words, uh, mm-hmm. because there has just been so much. It's the echo chambers in the media in particular. And by the way, let's differentiate between the media and journalism. There is a difference, isn't there? Well, I think there are some um, places that are a lot more uh, take take their responsibilities a lot more seriously than others. Are you familiar with the fairness doctrine? Saying that you had to give equal time on the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was abolished back in 1981 by Ronald Reagan when he re- when he deregulated the FCC. Mm-hmm. I was in broadcast school at the time, studying for my third class license. We went hmm. down to the FCC in Phoenix to take the test, and they said, oh, didn't you hear? Two weeks ago, uh, that was eliminated. Mm-hmm. I so much wanted that certificate on the wall. I really did. Uh, and then, of course, I found out about the Fairness Doctrine being abolished. Now, it does not apply when it comes to politics, when it comes to uh, specifically uh, elections and campaigns. You still have to give um, uh, candidates running for the same office. If you're going to give one, you have to at least invite the other candidates uh, on your station uh, for equal time to uh, uh, express their their side and 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 so forth. Um, and I've actually talked with a few people who um, I guess I would consider them very conservative. Uh, They don't want the government telling us what to do. And I would tell them about the Fairness Doctrine. And I said, would you be interested in having it be reinstated? And they said, yes. Mm. Because they were more interested, these individuals I've spoken with, were more Mm -hmm. interested in fairness than they were the party, than their their position. And and, and that was nice to hear. It really was. Uh, it, It seems to me like we have lost that. And I'm wondering how you as a journalist... How do you, how do you walk that, so to speak, fine line? Well, it's hard. I think you have to um, take a position, and I, not just as a journalist, but as people in general, and and at least until people prove otherwise, to assume that they have good intentions, mm-hmm. and. Um, as far as journalism goes, boy, um, yeah, I think you lose a lot of credibility when you favor one side over the other. I um, have been someone who's worked a lot in organizations that are interested in playing it down the middle. And I think that's where I feel comfortable. I work for um, New York Business now for the past two and a half weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's my second time working for Cranes. I worked there in um, in the mid two thousands. Before that, the Wall Street Journal, which is very um, determined not to fall on one side or the other, at least the news division. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the opinion pages are conservative. Yeah, um, and. Uh, Before that news day, we're on uh, Long Island where I live. Um, And, you know, I think that there's a sense that if you go too far to one side or the other, then um, you can be dismissed too easily. And I think in the long run, that's going to be a good um, business philosophy. I 
I couldn't agree more. I, I've often thought if I was ever to own a radio station and I would make it a news talk and information station, I would be getting news from multiple sources from across the spectrum, not just from one side or the other. And then it's up to the listener to make up their own mind. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, and, and we used to, you know, and our society used to trust uh, the news media, radio, television, and newspapers, magazines, etc. And and I don't know that it's gotten more biased per se, uh, or if just the uh, filter that's been put out there that all of the news media is fraudulent and making it up and and doing hatchet jobs and witch hunts and so on and so forth and that that's just being put out by those people who are being covered saying that no no they've got it all wrong and what really happened is and it's like well okay let's 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 look at the evidence uh because i i heard a great line in a promo for uh, one of the uh, ncis uh, uh or the csu csi uh, programs the line was uh, there is, um, yes, there is uh, uh, what people believe to be true, and then there's what is true in terms of, let's just say in a crime scene, the evidence, the physical, hard, cast in stone, uh, irrefutable evidence. And if the rain is coming down... How can you argue that it's not if you're getting soaking wet and you're saying, no, it's not raining? Mm-hmm. Are you, you seriously? Or a hurricane is blowing through your neighborhood, you know, and then you're, you're holding onto a pole and you're horizontal being blown out. Um, no, there's no hurricane. Seriously? And it seems to me this is one of the biggest problems that we have right now in this country in particular is the 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 our inability not I, I i'm i'm not going to accuse the sources i'm going to accuse the destination us the viewer the you know the listener and so forth it's our inability to choose to trust and to find that same information from other sources other than like doing the mm-hmm. due diligence yeah. Do, you, do you think that that's more what's going on than what the media is being accused of across the board of being biased in that sense? In terms of let's just not ta- let's not talk about uh, uh, opinion here, because, as you said, you know, like the Wall Street Journal, they have their opinion page. And, OK, that's fine. It can be conservative. That's that's perfectly acceptable. But when you're reading a news story. You know, then give us just the facts. Give us the facts, ma'am, like in Dragnet. What are your thoughts in that regard mm-hmm. by comparison to what, what it used to be and what it is today? Well, I think you have to be smart about what news you trust. Um, you have to, you know, there's so much information coming at us now. And um you can't be naive and just say, oh, somebody said this to me on Facebook, and so I believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, unfortunately see people who do that. Um, so I think there are certain organizations um, that, you know, you can ally yourself with. If you don't, if you see a news story and you think that, that it's um, biased, you can do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. What if you find out, oh, I can trust that. Yeah. It did. And, and do your diligence a few times and, you know, be aware. Say, uh, you know, I, I always trust the Washington Post or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. or that particular writer at the Post. Yeah. I mean, I think um, you can't just dismiss um, information and news um, outright. I think it's of, of to some advantage, and I don't blame it all on Donald Trump, but it's to his advantage to say, um, don't believe the media because the media are the people who hold him accountable. Yeah. 
it's it's like we are the jury in a trial, and uh, the only way that you're going to get a conviction is if you are able to, depending upon which side you're on, uh, is there or isn't there reasonable doubt? And right now, uh, it's beyond reasonable doubt in terms of the news media. I mean, people, they out and out, they, many, many people uh, doubt the veracity, the accuracy, mm-hmm. the tr- the trustworthiness of the media. Now, whether that's because that's what they've been told, don't trust the media, like in the 60s, don't trust authority, <laughs> you know, question everything. Um, it seems to me that as, as we have grown as a, society, as a society and also as our technology has, has grown, we are being asked and maybe even forced to be more responsible on an individual level. Whereas back, let's say when I was a kid growing up in the 60s, didn't have to because Walter Cronkite was right there giving us the news and we trusted that he was giving us the accurate facts. You know, I mean, what are you going to say? Uh, you're going to show that who say people who say I don't trust the media are it's like a fo- false um, sophistication. I mean, the media is pick and choose. It's it's yeah. not just one entity, right? So I don't know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm getting a lot of uh, messages from my employer. <laughs> well, I need to go. Okay, well, I'll let you get back I'm to sorry. your job. But if I may, thank you. thank you for giving us so much time. Uh, can I ask you three quick questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before mm-hmm. we wrap up here? Mm-hmm. All right, very good. And uh, Anne, the last name again is pronounced Michaud, correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. All right, and the book is entitled Why They Stay. We certainly hope that you will pick up a copy of that book. You can go to her website, and that is, believe it or not, it is Anne Micho, and that's A N N E. M-I-C-H-A-U-D. The D is silent, folks. And Misho. <laughs> and uh, you can uh, check out the work that she's doing and other books that she has written. And uh, we thank her. Thank you so much for joining us. The three questions that I have for you as we wrap up the program are, number one, who is Anne Misho? Well, I'm a journalist, author, mother, wife, um, New Yorker. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you've been doing now? Um, I really enjoy um, looking at human um, behavior and hope to illuminate um, some of the ways in which we are making decisions and maybe have us be a little bit smarter um, as a society in terms of who we vote for and who we um, choose as our leaders. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Hmm. I think I read something recently that uh, my life's purpose is discovering my life's purpose. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure that I, that I quite know yet. Well, Anne Michaud, I thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's been a great pleasure to get to know you and the work that you're doing and the insights that you give us and bring to us of the women who chose to stay in your book, Why They Stay. And we thank you again. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a great conversation. And I thank you for listening and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol. <laughs>